You're listening to the Be Fox and Be Frank show. It's that time of year. College basketball all the time. We have some rankings drama this week. We have plenty of on-court drama as well. Let's get right into it. A massive week of basketball, including uh, some great games yesterday and Martin Luther King Day. I wanted to start by talking about one of those games. Um, standalone game, middle of the day, work day for some, but not complaining. Uh, Purdue, Illinois in the Big Ten, one of the games of the year. Purdue is one of my big winners of the week, winning that game on the road in double overtime um, to get right back into the mix in the Big Ten title chase and doing it over a team who came in maybe the hottest team in the conference. Uh, very impressive performance from the Boilers. Yeah, and I think we, we were talking a little bit during this game. It it was interesting. You, you see Kofi go out with his picking up his third and fourth fouls on, frankly, silly plays. Um, really, the last three fouls he had were completely avoidable, and yet he, he did not do so. Um, Illinois fans, I'm sure, are going to complain about the officiating because it's college basketball, and that's seemingly what everyone does when, when things don't go their way. But even without him for long stretches of the second half, I think he went out at like the 1730 mark with his fourth foul and then came back with about six minutes left. Illinois looked better without him on the floor for whatever reason. They're shooting the ball extremely well. Curbelo was able to uh, come back after a two-month layoff and, and really look effective and they they did what they needed to do credit to purdue hitting some huge shots when they needed them whether it was hunter stefanovic whoever you know travion williams did not have a great game he was able to find open teammates though and and really run that uh, high post set where they can backdoor cut and and get a couple easy layups and that was the difference in overtime but if you if you are a purdue fan in this situation you need to be concerned i think because in Big Ten play basically the entire time and, and partly through the season, they have struggled mightily to close out games. They, this is the second, or I'm sorry, the third game in Big Ten play that they have let a double-digit second-half lead go. Uh, first one, I believe that they've won. The other two, they've lost. But concerning nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, Purdue has turned into Iowa light a little bit. Um, they've got a ridiculously efficient offense, although... That is even flawed a little bit. Uh, I'll get into it in a minute. But defensively, they've just struggled closing out games, closing out shooters. Um, you know, Penn State's done this to everyone, but late in that game against Purdue, they went on a run, um, hit a lot of outside shots. Illinois has a trio of great shooters. Uh, were able to take advantage of quality matchups. And that's kind of why they were able to get more in rhythm on both ends with Kofi out of the game. Um, I mean, like, we've... We've gone, we've gone both ways on, on Kofi on this program. Uh, he is a very, very, very good college player, um, but I think some of the flaws in his game loom large at times. Uh, you know, last year, a lot of their struggles were when they're able to pull him away from the basket as Loyola did and just, you know, take advantage of his lack of foot speed defensively. Mm -hmm. This game, he was not able to use his, you know, considerable physical frame as he does against most opponents because Zach Eady is seven, four and yeah. you just, you can't, you can't out big that you can't out muscle that. And he, he really struggled offensively. This is one of his worst games of the year came in on a very hot streak. So 
Um, you know, credit to Illinois for without who has been their best player, still almost winning this game, probably should have in regulation. But yep. trying to defend Purdue uh, is just such a gargantuan task this season with with all the weapons they have out there. Stefanovic contributing five threes, um, just even their role players um, do so many things well, and it's it's just very hard to defend. Yeah, and, you know, I or Stefanovic not even hitting the net or the rim on most of these shots. He's just pure on, on so many looks. And, you know, Jaden Ivey really tried to take over, I think, in, in the second overtime. And that's where you saw Purdue able to pull away. But it was a fun game, no doubt. And definitely well worthy of the uh, the pseudo holiday matinee, whatever whatever you'd like to call it. But, yeah, it was it was a good one. Yeah, so Illinois' first loss in the Big Ten. Um, that, that race is starting to get a little more interesting. Um, also throw Wisconsin on the winner's list. Um, mm-hmm. The team. The team. We've talked a lot about yes. Johnny Davis. He had a fine game against Ohio State, but I, I think it was it was huge to see big-time contributions from, from Brad Davison, from Tyler Wall, who had a very complete game, 27-6. and six. Um, rebounds and assists as well as the those 20 points. But that's that's huge for Wisconsin because it, it has been the Johnny Davis show all year. It took a massive performance from him just to uh, eke out a win over Purdue. So if they're able to, you know, have for him a pedestrian game, 14 points, and still be able to get contributions from other guys, beat a quality opponent like Ohio State, that gives you so much more confidence in the Badgers going forward. 100%. I think that's been the biggest concern, like you mentioned, for the longest time. Like, yes, Johnny Davis is good. When when he is held to a low or slow game, which I think you have to consider this, that 14-9 and nine on 18 shots, not really what we're used to seeing from him. You've got to get production from the other guys, and that's exactly what Wisconsin got, especially considering they are a fairly veteran-heavy team. I know Hepburn plays a huge role, and he's a freshman, but still, this is, you know, some of these guys we're talking about. Wall's been around a few years. Davison's in his 32nd year of college. Like, you've got all these guys around that have been through the gauntlet of the Big Ten, and this is where you need them to step up because it's, I mean, it's very clear who's going to be top of the scouting report every time Wisconsin plays someone, and it's Johnny Davis. And if you slow him down, the idea, at least up to this point, was that you have a chance to get a win. Here, they were comfortable for most of this game. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't hitting a couple of shots late. Um, game could have gone either way. It was, it was a game that Wisconsin was in control, and getting consistent contributions over the course of the game um, from – guys not named Johnny Davis uh, because yeah. yeah like that's what defenses are going to do you try to take away a guy who some nights will score 50% or more of your team's points um, so when they do that successfully and Wisconsin's still able to win comfortably then then you can start really to take them seriously um, as a Big Ten team and, and in the national landscape yes who else do you have as a uh, winner from last week i'm gonna give oregon a shout um i understand there's a lot happening on the west coast mick cronin obviously not happy in general but 
whether it's COVID fans, whatever's I mean, going on, it's never it's, happy. <laughs> yes, that's true. He he is never happy. Um, but yeah, big big week, knocking off the two top programs right now in the Pac-12 with UCLA and USC. Um, we will. I will dig into USC a little more in the loser side because I think they do fit on that category. But this is kind of the Oregon we were hoping to see preseason. Like th- this is still a talented team. This is still a good team. Daniel Altman is still a good coach. They just haven't played well or even consistent throughout this entire season, and that has been the biggest killer for them because. As we've seen, they're four and two now in in Pac-12 play. They they're a game out of first place. When they do that, when they play consistently, they've got a shot to hang and beat just about anybody. Yeah, fans or not, these were both on the road too, back to back road wins yep. over top five teams. Um, that's that's heck of a week. And yeah, the the Ducks have dug themselves a hole early in the season, um, but. You know, back-to-back strong performances from their veteran guards, Young and Richardson, against UCLA and USC, respectively. That's, like you said, exactly what we were kind of looking for when we were assessing this team in the preseason, um, just in the hierarchy of the Pac-12. And, you know, had a road win against uh, rival Oregon State just before that, too. Not a great win on its own, but you string those three together, now four and two in conference and looking miles better than they did uh 10 days ago so yeah at the end of the day it's dana altman slow start the season trying to get some of the new pieces and transfers to fit together but they keep up this level of play this is definitely a team that can play its way into the ncaa tournament and we've seen oregon is a low seed very dangerous in that format yeah certainly not a team you want to see i think it's it's kind of turning into not not necessarily like a, a Tom Izzo at Michigan State where the team starts to round into form once you get to February and March, but there's an argument that like this Dana Altman's teams do start to peak as the season climaxes, and that's been really good for him because we've seen deep tournament runs year in and year out seemingly. It's a little bit of a, a West Coast Izzo vibe for sure, not not quite as consistently making it all the way to the final four, but yep, it's yep. one of those things where, you know, the individual talent on the roster might not stack up to some other Pac-12 teams, but you look at who's on the sideline there, Dana Altman, you're always going to give him the benefit of the doubt, which I think we definitely did in the preseason. And then it was tough to watch out of the gate, certainly against BYU in that standalone game uh, that, yeah. that Phil Knight certainly didn't enjoy. Couple, couple tough results in Maui, um, left for dead a little bit. But I mean, this is exactly how you play your way out of it. These, these are the the two toughest games in the Pac-12 this year: UCLA and, and USC. Um, well, Arizona probably yeah. going to be a tough one as well. But uh, two out of the three highly ranked Pac-12 teams getting both um, wins on the road. Um, that's that's huge. That's how you build a tournament resume. Yeah, one hundred percent. But also throw Kentucky on there. Yeah. Um, like Jesus. You uh, you look at Tennessee's offensive statistics, how well they shot the ball, and then you look at the scoreboard, they still lost by 28. It's ridiculous. Um, and you know, nice tip of the cap to to Joby Hall starting the game in a one-three-one zone, and then Ty Ty Washington just having a phenomenal game, uh, 28 points, and he is playing excellent basketball and rounding into form at 
the perfect time for this team. If I mean, Kentucky's offense has looked pretty darn good these last three games. Obviously, they will not continue at the pace they did against Tennessee. And for those who uh, happened to miss the game, they shot 67.8% from the field, 61% from three. Just just absurd. Um, if we are seeing this Kentucky team, though, consistently scoring in the 80s, they're going to they're going to win most, if not all, of their games. I mean, the only team that can really keep up with that at this rate only looks like Auburn in the SEC because Alabama is continuing to fall apart. Arkansas picked up a good win against LSU, but I'm still not convinced that they are back to the team that we thought they would be. Um, right now, Kentucky and Auburn, like it, it seems comfortable talking about those two teams as the class of the SEC. Playing Saturday, 12.30, via appointment television. Um, yep. Yeah, especially since Alabama, who we'll have to talk about again later, um, has has fallen off. That's, yeah, like mm -hmm. every other team near the top seems to be a little defensive-minded, sometimes to a fault. Um, but Kentucky and Auburn playing wide-open basketball, getting contributions from a bunch of different guys on that end of the court. Um, and, yeah, it's it's fun basketball when the ball goes through the hoop. So we're, we're breaking new ground yes. here. <laughs> Got to make shots to win. You do. Anyone else on your winner list? Yeah, I'm going to give um, Villanova a shout. Uh, this was a team that looked looked like they were they could be caught this year, I think is the best way to put it, in the Big East. They, at least in my opinion, have put that to bed. They are back atop the standings at 6-1. and one. They pick up a road win at Xavier, um, pretty comfortable most of the way. Xavier did come back and make it a tighter game and then put one of the biggest beatdowns on Butler and maybe program history, but certainly in the Ken Palm era, 82-42. Uh, and granted, Butler is not that great a team this year. Still, wild performance. We're talking about great offense. Villanova shot 60% from the field, 63% from three, just really looking like a well-oiled machine and like the Villanova we are used to seeing. And that is a, a scary sight for a lot of Big East fans. Yeah, just a, an all-around rough season for Butler, catching both Purdue and Villanova at times when those teams are pretty pissed off and yeah. able to take advantage of a pretty sizable talent difference. Um, yeah, but it's it, it will... Nothing will ever equate, I think, the ridiculous streak of Kansas basketball, but there is a little bit of an air of inevitability um, that, that Villanova is back to where they should be. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly not over, but they, they've they got a game lead on Providence, a couple games up on Xavier Marquette, and then the rest of the league. So they're sitting pretty right now, and... I mean, one of these times Xavier is going to have to seal the deal. Um, you know, yeah. ultimately home game against Villanova, you know, it's going to be the team you have to beat to win the league. Um, you know, it's, it's happened before. It's just not happened with any regularity where you can stake any sort of consistent claim to this being your league. Like, right. It's still clearly Villanova's. Yeah, and they just continue to look better and better, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, which I think has been 
a weakness for for quite a while. They're still not deep. Like they they don't go more than seven, I would say, and that's really dependent upon if Brian Antoine is feeling up to it, healthy, because he's just dealt with so many injuries. But like you might see a Chris Archie Diacono appearance every once in a while. Otherwise, it's Caleb Daniels in the starting five, and that's all. They just go. Yeah, and I think difference too is we saw Villanova really challenge themselves the non-conference, take their lumps. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes embarrassingly so, like they did to Baylor. But it really seems to be paying off since they've hit conference play and really looking to be in a nice groove now. And some of the offensive woes we saw earlier in the year, not noticing as much anymore. As, you know, I mean, obviously need hit 12 threes they did against Butler. That's going to look great. Um, but the offense seems to be flowing smoother. They're playing better defense, as you said. So everything is just clicking kind of as, as Jay Wright likes it to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the last one I have, I'm actually going to give Northwestern a shout out. Big win in the Breslin Center against Michigan State. And if you look at Northwestern, I got to pull it up real quick. But if you look at their schedule, they are in basically every game against solid teams in their losses. They've got a loss to Providence by five, a loss at Wake Forest by four. They lost to Michigan State earlier in the year by six. They were in that game until the end. Penn State by four. That's a tough loss because Penn State, is, as we know, is just a decent team. Um, Ohio State by 12 is really the biggest blowout. And then they lost in double overtime to Maryland in a game they should have won early on. But this team is a couple bounces away, you could say, from being a top half of the Big Ten team and maybe maybe tournament bubble. Their, their non-conference strength of schedule is horrific, but they, they have, I would say, a little bit of hope. If they can, they can steal a couple here, I mean, I, I also don't think Michigan State is as good as the number 10 ranking that they had in this game, but there, there is reason to be optimistic if you're a Northwestern fan, I think. Uh, yes, this was, I, I think this tells me a lot more about Michigan state. I have them as a loser, but I will yeah. say Northwestern, that's a great win, especially without Pete Nance, who yeah, I think is really the only like objectively good individual player on the roster. Um, if we're looking at big 10 teams um that's just the way it is mm-hmm. don't shoot the messenger um but northwestern is a team that you absolutely hate to play like they'll yeah. they'll make everything difficult they will grind you out offensively they've they've got timely shooting at times from the likes of, of chase audesia and boo booey the problem for them is those guys are as streaky as they come uh, yeah so you know when when they're hitting it's great but a lot of the time there are going to be some pretty brutal stretches and, you know, Boo Boo is, is one of the like worst guards at finishing at the rim too. So that does not matter. But you're able to control a game um, played in the sixties, maybe the, the high fifties, those are games that, that Northwestern wants to be in. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have some better offensive performances, but generally speaking, it's still much the same as uh same st- general strategy as as when Carmody was there, minus the Princeton offense. So this is a, a surprising result, certainly. Uh, mm-hmm. Michigan made a little bit of a habit of dropping a game uh, 
every so often to Northwestern. So that's one they'll certainly want to fix, but it's a big win for Northwestern. That being said, I do still think Rothstein is going to have to pay up on the wager he made with the internet and come sponsor a happy hour in Chicago when Northwestern doesn't make the tournament. Yeah. There's, I mean, I, I am not going as far as to say is this win will propel them to a run. I'm simply, I guess you put it more eloquently than I did. They're a tough team to play. They're annoying to play. They're going to be in it for the most part. Um, And if their guards get hot, you could be in trouble. Best one of the year, but I think it'll also stay that way. I don't, I don't really see them, them knocking off any of the other ranked teams in conference, but no, I will be sweating it February 8th. Uh, I don't know. I, I may travel up to Evanston, but I think I'd be too miserable. So The, the we'll killer see. mop uh, revenge game. Oh, uh, yeah. He's, he needs to turn it around. <laughs> he just uh, misses the Welsh Ryan rims. He, he really does. He, he's, he's not used to playing with like other good basketball players, I think. Is it? Um, so, yeah. I mean... Transition over to losers in Michigan State was uh, perhaps doing a little bit better than could reasonably have been expected uh, yeah. from them this season. Had a couple of close calls. Um, you know, Northwestern the first time, certainly. Two-point win over Minnesota. Minnesota's been a another feisty team like Northwestern. Very tough to play uh, for a yeah. lot of the, the top teams of the conference, but can't quite get over the hump since we don't count Michigan as the top team in the conference anymore. But uh, Michigan State, this is not quite disastrous, but not a game under any circumstances you can be losing at home, um, especially with the, the race at the top tightening up. I mean, oversimplification, but if you win this game, you're alone in first place in the conference now. Little bit of a three way tie with Wisconsin and Illinois, and now you've got Purdue and Ohio State nipping at your heels. So it's going to be a wild race to the finish line. And if you're a contender, you can't be dropping games to teams in the bottom four of the conference, um, which, yeah. thanks to this win, does not even include Northwestern. Um, that, that successfully got them out of the bottom four. We welcome. Right. We welcome Michigan to the program now, uh, but this is, you can't you can't be losing these types of games if you have aspirations of winning the Big Ten. You just can't. Jeez, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those where turnovers are killer, and when Michigan State gets sloppy, they get really sloppy with the ball. And they're they're fine offensively and defensively. I, you know, they obviously run and transition very well, and they're. Their bigs have been solid, if nothing else, um, I, and I think that's been a plus. But consistent guard play is what they need to find right now. Max Christie's had a decent year, um, obviously still adjusting. Tyson Walker's been good at distributing, but really hasn't shown much of a scoring touch, and they they are used to being led by uh, more of those ball-dominant guards than, than they currently have. Yeah, and I, I think Tom Izzo just needs to – not try to overthink things like yeah mark marcus bingham is having a phenomenal year you have to play him more there is Mm -hmm. there is no reason only play him 17 minutes against minnesota no foul trouble whatsoever didn't get a lot of playing time against northwestern either uh he has been such a difference maker this season made such a leap 
in the last year. Um, just his athleticism around the rim, shot blocking ability at an elite level. Um, what he can do offensively as well had the game went in ridiculous buzzer beating alley-oop um, against Loyola earlier in the season. Um, mm-hmm. he, he does so many things well in the interior. Put him on the floor. Like, give give your best players opportunities to make plays. Um, so, Tom is getting a, a little too cute with his rotation sometimes. I think that's that's coming back to bite him. Certainly should have beat Minnesota by more. Should have yeah. beat Northwestern in general. So, I would expect Bingham to continue to start and actually get more minutes uh, next time the Spartans are out on the court. Yeah, if Tom Izzo needs help with his rotations, I'd be happy to uh, <laughs> to pitch in there because he's giving Joey Hauser way too many minutes. And we already know how I feel about the Hausers in general, but that's that's where I'll end the, the, the rant. The stock has never been higher than it was uh, the summer of 2021. Yeah. But... Those days are gone. Uh, or no, summer of 2020. Yeah. It it's all blends down, together. Like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Sheesh. Uh, okay. Um, you talk about USC now? No, yeah. you wanted to? Yeah. I, uh, so it's, it's hard because obviously USC is talented. I think, and, it's funny that I think it's hard to say this because I say some version of this every single year about USC. They're talented, but who have they beaten? Like, if you look at their schedule, who have they really beaten? They beat San Diego State, um, and that is it. Maybe maybe come the end of the year, Washington State might be a decent win, but they don't have anything else on there. They've lost two of their last three, which includes a loss to a an average Stanford team, and then obviously this... Uh, resurgent Oregon team, but in between there is a win against Oregon State by 10 in a game they really should be winning by 20 plus because this year's Oregon State is an absolute shell of what we saw last season. I don't trust them in this mountain trip. This has always been incredibly difficult, the Colorado-Utah mountain swing. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, they could be ripe for the picking for a team like Arizona State or Stanford who's already beaten them. I don't I don't really worry about Cal, but they've got a backloaded schedule where they've got Arizona and UCLA twice, plus Oregon right in the end. They they could finish with five or six losses in the Pac-12. I think that's definitely possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, they haven't, haven't really beaten any good teams. Like Washington State, one of the biggest disappointments for me personally. I thought they'd be yeah. more competitive with the the top half of the conference sitting at just three and three in conference play. Um, yeah, I would I would definitely be worried about Colorado on the mountain trip. Utah is pretty awful. Um, they but are. But it's not always that you get swept. It's always that you drop at least one game, and I think Colorado is a great opportunity for USC to do just that. Um, Colorado yeah. being the first of those two games, too, I think is the more dangerous part because if you get beat and you get beat like Colorado can beat you in that game, confidence is going to be as low as it gets. And and that's really all a Utah team needs is just an opportunity. Granted, they'll need to play very well, but Colorado is just such a dangerous team to be facing at this point, at this point, especially on the road. Yeah. The only teams they play in the top half of the conference are Stanford and Oregon. They've lost to both. So does that give me a lot of confidence going forward, knowing that they have to play Arizona, uh, UCLA at all? Not really. No. Um, but 
I, I think this was this was definitely a team we we knew coming out of the start of the season. Like the record looks great. They're probably not a top five team in the country. Um, you can pump the brakes on that a little bit. I, I think they'll they'll find their their level. Um, you know, Boogie Ellis has been a great pickup this year, um, along with Isaiah Mobley certainly inside. But yeah, um, you know, probably somewhere in the the twenties is going to be a a more appropriate final landing spot. And they're another team too, as I'm looking like that's someone you don't want to see in the tournament because you genuinely don't know what you're going to get uh, from this team. And as you look at something like bracket matrix, they are ranging anywhere from a two seed to a 12 seed, which is just bananas to see that kind of range on a team like this like that there is no reason <laughs> their resume is so confusing that they have this range of a two seed to a 12 seed granted this is like the internet's compilation of bracket projections and it is mid-january so they're basically meaningless but the fact that usc can be looked at anywhere from a two seed to a 12 seed is just bananas a run like last year's team isn't out of the question. Like, yeah, you'd be just a, a very dangerous six or seven seed. You're, you know, you could be dreading a second round matchup with. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely a a massive difference between ceiling and floor. Um, and I I don't think we've truly seen how good they can be yet because um, they haven't really had too many opportunities to be tested against top flight competition. I think what they're able to do or not do against a team like Arizona is going to tell us much more than what we think we already know. Mm -hmm. They won today, but we have to address Baylor. Um, Baylor did get back on the right side of the win-loss column with a, a win at West Virginia, but before that, they dropped back-to-back -back home games against Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. Big 12 is tough. Yeah. We are, we're not breaking any news there, but it was a bit surprising to see Baylor do that because, you know, for the first 15 games of the season, they were pretty much untouchable. And we talked about 21-point win over Villanova where the Wildcats scored 36 points um, just – if anyone looked like a clear-cut number one in college basketball, it was Baylor. Um, and then that rug was pulled out from under us so quickly when they went up against two of the best defensive teams in all of college basketball and really managed to look very out of sorts on their home court. Yeah. Um, I mean, credit the defense because these are two top seven Ken Palm defensive teams, Texas Tech at number three and Oklahoma State at number seven. Um, but you expect more out of Baylor, I think. And I don't, I don't think that's unfair to say they are sixth in terms of offense, 11th defensively. They, they held serve defensively in both of these games, allowing 65 and 61 points, but you expect more on your home court to score, uh, more than 62 and 54 points in each game, respectively. Like you need to find a way to gut out a win. And I think, I don't think it's concerning, I do think it is uh, just a sign of maybe how good or, or how much deeper the Big 12 is than we had anticipated. And I know we've said a few times, like, yes, this is a good league top to bottom. It's the best in the country. 
but I guess we're like really getting to see how just how real that statement is. Yeah, and I mean it's it's great to to bottom because Texas Tech got this win and then went and lost to Kansas State, who is uh, yeah pretty clear cut uh, last team in the conference. Um, but it was it was a great job of um, both Oklahoma State and Texas Tech really trying to take away what Baylor likes to do defensively. Um, I mean, really the last several years under Scott Drew is just drive and attack the baskets um, like nobody's business. But Mm -hmm. it was not quite a pack line, but really, really cheating inside and making them beat you from the outside. And and Baylor just could not do it. Shot over 50 combined threes, only made 16 across the two games. And that's just not going to get it done. And now, the onus is on Scott Drew a little bit um, to figure out what he's going to do differently. Cause yes, those are two top 10 defensive teams in the country. Not everyone's going to be able to replicate that exactly, but the big 12 across the board is a very good defensive conference. You still have uh, Texas challenging in there. You've still got Kansas as uh, a pretty solid defensive team um, and Iowa state is a, a very, very good defensive team. So these are things you're going to see in conference. These are things you're going to see in the NCAA tournament. Um, we were a little surprised at how well D- Baylor started out of the, the gates, um, just in terms of margin of victory with, with all the talent they lost uh, to the league after the national championship. But, you know, they're going to yeah. need more from guys like James Akinjo. Um, Matthew Meyer stepping up today with the big game against West Virginia, but guys are going to have to hit jump shots um, because if, if teams are cheating that much on driving lanes, um, you're going to have to scheme guys open in different ways. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's similar to just beating the zone. You got to pass through it and shoot through it because otherwise, it makes their job incredibly easy. Yeah. No. Oh. Scott, you're still a good coach, but not a not a good week for said good coach. But yeah, I mean, short memory getting a, a win over West Virginia on the road, so could be trending back in the right direction. But that that Big Twelve schedule is just yeah an absolute grind that I would I would not wish upon anyone. Definitely not. Uh, it should be fun for the new teams. That's what we'll say. Should be fun yeah. for those new programs. It should. Um, well, in a couple of weeks, uh, Baylor is playing Alabama at Alabama. So maybe good Alabama will show up in that game. They didn't really last week. A couple yeah. highlight reel plays against Auburn, but they dropped that game at home. They drop another close game at Mississippi State. And now it's, it's not so much, you know, alternating good and bad performances. This feels like a little closer to free fall mode. Yeah, they're in trouble. Uh, for their last six, three in a row, they've got LSU, who is a nightmare matchup for them, just because defensively the Tigers have been elite. Um, but they they do get a little break, if nothing else, or a, a little get right stretch with Missouri and Georgia. I'm not putting it past them to lose this, as they've already lost to Missouri. But I I would be surprised if they they go down again to Missouri. They need to lock in defensively, I think, is the, is the big thing here. You know what you're going to get 
on the offensive end, high tempo, lots of threes. They really aren't shooting it well from beyond the arc, but they're going to get shots up and that'll still give them an opportunity. Not rebounding it entirely well as they're just so guard heavy, but there are so many options and so many combinations that they can go with here that it it is shocking just to see the, the amount they are struggling right now. Yeah, the SEC is just a different animal this year because it's very, very rare to have a proverbial night off. And when you yeah. do, you can't go out and lose to Missouri. Like that yeah. that should have been your comfortable victory, get right game, um, you know, maybe get your, your starters off the floor uh, for some minutes in the second half, kind of rest up before your tougher stretch against Auburn, um, against LSU, because – if they if they don't um, come out and win two of their next three, like LSU is going to be a very tough game. But Alabama yeah. usually rises to those challenges at least. Um, but the two game stretch against Missouri and Georgia, I'm a little concerned about a road game at Georgia. Nothing to do with the Bulldogs concerns me, but that is early tip on a Tuesday could be very easy to look ahead to the next three game stretch. That is Baylor, Auburn and Kentucky all in succession. Um, So you don't want, you don't want those games to, to beat you before you even play it. But with Alabama this year, you, you really just don't know. The one thing I will say, at least the loss to Davidson has aged well. um, If that's even a thing that's possible, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they need to they need to start stringing together some wins. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they they need to play like they did early in the season. I mean, I mean, I guess they still lost to Iona early in the year, but the beatdown they put on Miami, who we're now learning is a more capable team than we had thought. The win over Gonzaga, even the win against Houston, those are all uh, games where they played and showed what they are capable of on their best day. We need to see more of that or closer to that than we have lately. They they had enough good performances uh, sandwiched around the more rare outliers. Um, but now it's three losses in a row. Really only one of those, you look at the opponents like, yeah, that's, that's a team that's better than us, um, mm-hmm. Auburn. But Mississippi State, Missouri can't get swept by those two. Um, you know, it's... Mississippi State's a solid team. Alabama's inarguably more talented. Um, that's that's a game they should win. So it's it's going to be brutal in the SEC. So when you have two very winnable games back to back, you have to win both of them. If they can knock off LSU, that's gravy. But at minimum, you got to win two of the next three. Yeah, it's a must. That was actually all the losers I had. You have anybody else? Um, I was going to call LSU's offense because it is literally costing <laughs> them games here. Uh, the loss to Arkansas, they did what they needed to do defensively, held them to 65 points, only managed 58. Offense is currently ranked, I think, 103rd in Ken Palm, which is not very good. They're shooting at tw- they shot 26% from three, uh, didn't rebound it well, just they need help offensively because you're wasting an elite level defense um, for no offense. It, it it kind of feels like Virginia to, to an extent with how they play offense and how much they are struggling on that side of the floor right now. 
I think they're a little more fun than that. Um, yes, they are. I just ba- based on no numbers, just general vibes. Um, but I'd say <laughs> they're they're brothers in arms with uh, Iowa State. I think if you if Iowa State and LSU play in the tournament, that could make Iowa State Texas Tech look like a track meet. Um, yeah, those are two teams that are elite defensive teams, but can be very brutal. Um, when they have the ball, both would score 90 on Iowa. No problem. Um, mm-hmm. I have no doubt there, but yeah, like shout out Keith smart interim coach, uh, filling in for the must bus getting the win over LSU. But that's, uh, it's an Arkansas team. We've already left for dead on this program. Um, again, it's like, I know we thought more highly of Arkansas to start the season, but that is one of the closest things you'll get to an easier game in SEC play. And you have to take advantage of, of those opportunities when you get it. You, you, yeah. need to, you need to get in some comfortable victories over the course of the season. Uh, you can't just play every game on a razor's edge. So that's a, that's a tough one to swallow. But, yeah, it's, it at least comes on the heels of uh, – several strong performances in a row. Um, you know, everybody's picking up quality victories over Tennessee. It feels like, um, unless you got in on that too. And the Kentucky one will continue to age well over the next couple weeks, but yeah, it's, uh, Alabama tonight as you're listening to this, then Tennessee again on Saturday. Um, so got to find some consistent offense from somewhere. Um, you know, Easton and Days can't do everything by themselves. Right, right. But all the all the haterade you want to drink today? I'm gonna throw Seton Hall under the bus. I have to. Okay. Um, I, I won't do it out of respect. You can't go zero and two on the Midwest road trip. You just simply can't do it, and that's exactly what they did. Um, no energy, no effort, or effort, but no energy against DePaul. You catch a Demons team where they get Jalen Terry scoring a career-high 28 points. He's like a five-point-per-game scorer. That's You can't have that happen. Um, and DePaul is the worst free-throw shooting team in the Big East. They get to the line 45 times. Granted, a lot of those were garbage-time minutes or garbage-time free throws. Um, and they make 80% of those. You, you, off day but you still got to do better. You got to perform better. DePaul is always a tough road game uh, for Seton Hall, especially, but just in general, it's not easy to play at DePaul. And then Marquette turnovers, absolutely killer. You get, you know, opportunity after opportunity to get in this game, take the lead, pull away, and you simply can't do it. Shoot 28% from three. Marquette goes nine of 14 in the first half from beyond the arc. You keep it a three-point game. You stay in it and miss free throws, 20 turnovers. They just could not figure out a way. You're plus 21 on the glass and you still lose. Like that That should never happen. Not out of it by, by any stretch, but at this point in the conference season, three and a half games behind Villanova. What kind of conference finish constitutes a, a successful season in your mind? It's so it's disappointing because the Providence game is called off. They're dealing with COVID issues. It's like 
two weeks ago we had the same problems yet we right. had to play the games i understand providence has like three red shirt players or something where they only have 10 uh healthy players at max on their roster which is whatever um but now you've really got no margin for error like you you need a top three finish i think in this league and i don't think that's overstepping the bounds or at least to match up with how you performed in the non-conference uh you know you've it's going to be real tough this week you've got a week off before you play saint john's on saturday at the garden then turn around and play them on monday at home at the on-campus gym in a students only game it's hard to say you need to sweep a team after playing them twice in three days, but that feels like if it was ever set up to do it, this is the chance. You have no margin for error against the bottom of the league now. You have to sweep Georgetown. You have to sweep Butler. You have to get the other games against Marquette and DePaul, and then you've got to find a way to split with Xavier, I think. Creighton's going to be very tough. Like This team needs to finish above 500. If they don't, I think you're spelling trouble, and really hurting yourselves for where you could be or could have been in uh, the NCAA tournament. Certainly a little bit of a, an opportunity at the stretch right now, five straight games against unranked opponents and Creighton and Marquette, both coming to Seton hall. Um, but yeah, I, I know it was a very strong start to the season, non-conference play. Um, you know, first team to really derail Michigan season, beating Texas, um, playing a great game against Ohio State, uh, nail biter there. But yeah, they, hey, certainly would never say the Big East is easy. It's consistently the most competitive league, top to bottom. So it's no shame there. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch, and like I would enjoy this a lot more if I didn't have expectations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think the. Problem. The like the the COVID luck or whatever you yeah. want to call it, I think was like Seton Hall is one of the the few teams that it really seemed like powered through to play games. Um, it's it's kind of unfortunate that that, that contributed to this um, because at full strength they're definitely one of the most talented in the conference. Yeah, and I I mean I agree with that, and then you can kind of point to this week's games and say, well, they were basically full strength. What what happened there? Like, yeah, yeah, I, you know, it's one of those, not everyone's going to play well all the time, but now it's, it's hard when you piggyback that off of the two tight losses to Providence and Villanova, where you just have to wonder what if, but now, now it's time for Kevin Willard to earn his money. He's got to get him right and get it, get the defense sorted out. That's been the biggest joke so far. Yeah. And anytime you'd, you give out that kind of offensive output to the pilots. It's definitely like in the maritime. <laughs> it's a gut check moment for sure. Okay, yeah. Plenty of season left though. Um, plenty of time for all of our losers to turn it around. Plenty of time for our winners to fall back down to earth as I hope Purdue does on Thursday. So <laughs> we will uh, we'll keep an eye on that. It'll be another wonderful week of college basketball. We will be back here next week to break it down for you. So we will, See you next time.